Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Forktails a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by my friend Meredith Sandlin. She's the CEO of Empower Delivery and the co-author of Delivering the Digital Restaurant. If you are on LinkedIn, chances are you have seen her or heard from her because she is out there rocking it in the media talking about digital or delivery, digital, all that stuff. So Marilyn, before we hop in, why don't you say hello and give a little bit of backstory? Hi there. Well, so good to be on the show. Um, I've been listening and it is such a good podcast, so I'm excited to be part of it. Um, So yeah, my name is Meredith Sandland and I am the CEO of Empower Delivery as well as the co-author of Delivering the Digital Restaurant, uh, your roadmap to the future of food, and also the forthcoming Delivering the Digital Restaurant, the path to digital maturity, which will be out in a couple of weeks here. Maybe by the time this podcast airs, I don't know. We'll find out. That's awesome. If it is, we'll definitely have a link to it, or at the very least, have a link to pre-order. I'm excited to get my hands on it. Um, you probably can't really see it, folks, but right back here and on my bookshelf is the book. And so um, <laughs> I'm excited to uh, read the new one. So delivery, it's acing it is just like a really big challenge for restaurant brands, large and Mm -hmm. small. So I think before the pandemic, a lot were sort of adverse to it because they didn't really see the value. Uh, Their format wasn't set up for delivery, so on and so forth, all all the excuses. And then um, one day we won't mention the pandemic in these things, but (laughs) still we're still in the after effects. And what we know is it it sort of slingshotted everyone to have to adopt immediately. Um, But it it has become a begrudging necessity for a lot of Mm -hmm. restaurant leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The fees are story, trying to find um, some sort of profitability, so on and so forth. It's just, uh, it's a challenge to say the least. How can small brands, in your opinion, start to tackle the operational and financial challenges of delivery and make it work for them? Yeah, that is such a good question. And it is so true. I think a lot of restaurant brands were uh, forced into adopting delivery when maybe they otherwise wouldn't have wanted to. It's certainly if they were already doing it you know, shot up the demand and massively increased the amount of delivery they were doing. And, you know, I have talked to a lot of restaurants in New York in particular, who were at these high levels of delivery before the pandemic happened, right? That New York was like the early adopter city of all this stuff. And they would say, yeah, this whole, you know, incremental volume idea works really well if you're doing 10 or 15% of your sales on top of your normal business. But once you get to a certain level of sales, usually around 30 to 40% of your business, it isn't incremental. It is your business. And then you need to design the business for, you know, incorporating delivery. And uh, I have taken that lesson to heart because I think the way that you really improve um, the operations, number one, you said, and then the financial outcome, number two, for number one on operations, it's really about eliminating complexity. So 
what has become very difficult in the restaurant industry is that uh, we have all these channels now. Is someone coming in? Are they ordering ahead? Are they dining in? Are they using a kiosk? Are they talking to someone on the phone? Are they typing something into the POS? Are they using DoorDash, Uber? Like there's so many channels and they're coming in so many different ways that that creates a ton of complexity. So anywhere that a restaurant can eliminate complexity, that's going to help with the operational challenges a lot. And that could be something as simple as putting in a third-party aggregator. It could be something as big as saying, you know what, I'm going to take my off-premise demand and move it truly off-premise into a ghost kitchen setting uh, and let my restaurant be totally focused on dine-in. And then what happens with number two on the financial, as you eliminate complexity, you will find that getting better at the operations takes care of your financials and you have better financial outcomes because you are eliminating complexity. Now, unfortunately, I think what's happened in the industry is instead of eliminating complexity, we are in this like massively innovation phase, which it's exciting. But what ends up happening is we do something that uncovers a new problem. We invent a new technology to fix that problem that uncovers a new opportunity. We go after it. That creates a new problem. We create a new technology. And all of a sudden, a really sophisticated digital restaurant is using 15 to 20 different pieces of software to try to make this all work. That's a lot of complexity, right? So that's kind of where we are in the industry right now. Yeah, it's a ton of complexity. Um, So one of the things, I mean, with with the idea of simplifying, streamlining, optimizing, all of that, it it starts to sound like um, virtual brands uh, are antithetical to that. So we know that a virtual brands helped a lot of... um, you know, dead time in, in restaurants, elevate, uh, maximizing the return, you know, you're, you're cooking the food anyway. Um, but can't virtual brands actually do the opposite of the simplification? And now mm. not only are you doing, uh, you know, Italian food, but you're dropping wings because your wing brand just got 16 orders. Um, have you seen that play out or, or is that not something that you've seen? Well, I think, a really sophisticated digital restaurant and hopefully a virtual restaurant company who's advising them is going to try to design a virtual brand that limits complexity as much as possible. Um, and so the the best ones that are out there, what they're doing, and, and sometimes restaurants just do this themselves or not even doing it with a third party company, is they think about what ingredients do I already have on my line? What stations am I already using? Where do I have capacity either throughout day parts or in certain stations? And they focus the creation of the virtual brand that they, they um, put into the restaurant in that place, right? So no new ingredients, no new stations, no new labor, uh, really designed for the assets that they already have in place. If they do that, a virtual brand can be really not that complicated. Um, you also, of course, need the technology to bring that virtual brand in, in a least complex way possible. Um, so whether that be an aggregator or whether you're using something like Empower Delivery, you really need to be able to have that virtual brand be seamless and invisible to the staff in the kitchen. Um, if they view it as something incremental or something else they have to do, that again is going to introduce complexity. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, delivery isn't just about these major uh, consumer facing brands like DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates. Um, yes, those are the ones that everyone thinks of and they are a part of the equation, but there's an entire underbelly of companies that I think a lot of the um, less, co- less complex operators really know about. And when they don't know about it, they end up with that 
horrendous bank of tablets uh, managing all these different components. They kind of talk to each other, but maybe not totally. Um, what companies in this vertical do you think have been most impressive in helping to solve some of those problems? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of innovation going on, a lot of really amazing things. And I'm a little hesitant to answer this question, honestly, because every time I turn around, I feel like I discover a new one and I don't want to leave someone out. But I will say um, the things that at the most basic level are the most impressive and that if restaurants do not have them, they need to get are these third-party aggregators. So this is companies like Ordermark, Chali, Deliverect. Um, you really need to have one of these to streamline the order flow coming in. Um, and, you know, increasingly some POSs are hooking up directly with Uber Eats and Grubhub and DoorDash, which is also great. But step one, if orders are coming in from a lot of places, you really need to streamline how those orders are coming into the kitchen so that the kitchen's not losing their mind trying to keep track of all of them. Um, and then I'm also very impressed on the back end by companies that are saying, wait, just because you're using DoorDash or Uber Eats as a marketing engine to get the order doesn't mean you have to use their delivery fleet to fulfill the order. Um, and so companies like Relay and Nash and Cartwheel who are breaking apart um, the logistics from the order, I think are very, very interesting and they can help restaurants, you know, reduce the cost, improve the service of getting that order actually fulfilled. They can also help restaurants as they, um, you know, grow their first party channels or direct ordering to be able to fulfill those as well. Um, and then I really like, uh, companies like Flyby who are uh, doing geofencing and helping restaurants coordinate the activity of when the order is coming in versus when uh, the ready time of the food is and all of those types of things. I would be remiss, of course, not to say Empower Delivery, um, which is something similar, but in a totally different way, but we'll get into that later. Um, and then I am also really impressed with this idea of dynamic pricing, which you see in companies like Juicer and Sauce and Truffle. Um, and, you know, I, I do two things like for futurism, I do two things primarily. Number one is look at what happened in the travel industry. And number two, look what happened in digitally native brands in apparel and consumer goods. And if you look at those two things and just replace the word restaurant in there, mm -hmm. the future of restaurants, what's going to be coming, what's happening. Um, and all of those companies have things like aggregators, like dynamic pricing um, that help them sort through all this stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to um, try my hardest to not get into dynamic pricing because I'm about <laughs> to have your... Um, your friend Carl, or uh, or it's Orsborn, right? Orsborn, yeah. Orsborn, yeah. I always say Osborne when I say I, it quick. Everybody does. I yeah. do. I've known him for years. He's still <laughs> at my cell phone. Actually, he gets really annoyed with me. <laughs> That's funny. So I try to be very because I'm very sensitive to names and everything. But um, I think him and I are going to have a great episode coming up uh, about Juicer and about specifically dynamic pricing because mm. I am on the uh, contrarian side. I'm, I'm yeah. very against oh, it. Well, I will let you debate that with him then. Yeah, I will yeah. Let you or, or at least have a good discussion about it. And so um, a couple other shameless plugs. We, we did have Alan Hickey from Romo on the show. So I would suggest mm -hmm. listeners go check that out. Um, he is more on the logistics side. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also spoke with Alex Cantor, who is part of OrderMark order as well. So I, I suggest folks go listen to that one for more on the aggregation side. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some good insights there. Um, but 
moving along, I would love for you to get uh, maybe just a little more granular um, for folks who are not, I would say, part of macro brands that have the ability to uh, to really get into the complexities of um, the ecosystem itself of delivery. Can you just kind of explain the different parts? So we have the source of the order. We have aggregation, potentially. You're, you're suggesting yes, obviously. I, I am too. Um, <laughs> what are these different uh, categories? Mm, that's very interesting. I think, um, yes, the source of the order is probably what I would call a you know consumer facing part is step one and consumer journeys are circular, right? So you have to acquire them in a e-commerce funnel and then you need to get them to return and come back. And so, um, I think we're starting emerging, seeing some tools on the e-commerce funnel, helping us understand, um, how consumers are moving through from awareness to trial and going through the stages using the digital footprint that they leave behind on the various websites and apps. Um, the restaurant industry is very, very early in that part. I would say um, it's primarily platforms like DoorDash and Uber Eats that are putting those in the merchant portal on the back end. Um, you are starting to see some companies emerging that are trying to combine the data across portals uh, to make it consistent and help you figure out how to use it. Um, and then you go into that loyalty loop, right? Getting them to come back. And there's actually been quite a bit of, um, innovation on the loyalty front, right? Um, I think we all think of it as the old punch card from, you know, Subway from our childhood. That's right. And yeah. it has changed so much in large part because of the innovation that Starbucks really started. Gosh, I don't know, <laughs> 15 or 20 years ago now. Um, but it is starting to catch on in the rest of the industry. You had, um, Zach Goldstein from thanks on, mm -hmm. he does a great job explaining what he calls loyalty 3.0 and how that's changing and how personalization is really coming to the front. So then once that consumer order is placed, um, however they get there, then we're going to, um, enter that aggregator phase, bringing it all down into the kitchen. Um, go into production. So that's going to be our KDS, figuring out how to route it through the kitchen um, and make sure that it's accurate and it gets expedited correctly. And then we've got to get the product out of the kitchen. And that's where we go to that logistics backend um, and some of the companies that we were talking about there. And that is all fine and good, but we also then have a bunch of things that don't hit that journey, right? We've got companies that do uh, labor scheduling, like seven shifts. We've got uh, companies that do accounting, like Restaurant 365, inventory, like Galley Solutions. Um, there's all these little bits and pieces on the back end that help the restaurant optimize profitability and keep track of what they're doing. Um, so that they can do it really well. And that is the big opportunity here in all of this. As much as um, delivery is probably the thing we all see the most and are most familiar with as consumers, um, and frankly, which causes the most headaches inside restaurants, so it gets talked about the most, there is so much opportunity to take what is, um, in many ways, a very um, human production process that relies a ton on experience and knowledge and passing that tribal knowledge from person to person by doing and showing and telling and putting that inside of a computer so that the software can help support. I mean, 
Seven Shifts is such a great example of this. You know, I think of when my first hourly job, my manager posting my schedule on the on the bulletin board in the back, written in pencil because he's <laughs> changing it right, and uh, how different these automated scheduling tools are now that allow you to, you know, compare to sales volume and make forecasts and uh, let you know, your employees change their schedules themselves instead of you having to be involved. It's really come a long, long way, uh, but there's so much more to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we even had uh, Ellis Wynn Stanley on, he um, founded a, a startup called Axial Shift that their whole goal is to get the managers out of that small cubby hall that's mislabeled an office, um, <laughs> more more like a cage, but, um, anyway, get them out and like on the floor where they really, really can do the work and help motivate their team and so on and so forth. So like every facet of this industry is being completely revolutionized by technology. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the, I may have mentioned it on multiple, uh, episodes, but one of the side effects here, uh, that's negative is that that death by a thousand cuts with all these SAS fees. Um, so, Am I right in forecasting that we will start to see more aggressive convergence um, of these platforms? I mean, we have the aggregators, but you know, Restaurant 365 is aptly named. Um, they want to be that 365 degree operational platform. And then one that you didn't mention, um, not that I'm calling you out, but it's Otter, which I uh -huh. think is OTTR, which uh, actually quite literally means uh, one one thing to rule them all or something like that is, is what Otter stands for. Basically they want to be that, um, all encompassing solution. And then, we, I mean, we just saw a convergence happen, uh, early late last week, actually, Chally bought Koala, um, you know, which, you know, Koala we had on, we had Brett on as well. So, uh, man, come to think of it, I had some brilliant people on this show. You're, you're like <laughs> the latest in, in a long line. This is great. Um, but, uh, you're right. This digital revolution is, not just delivery. And I think what's great is the restaurant industry, um, despite itself, has the benefit of a lot of technological thinkers and pioneers who have done it for so many other industries, like you said, yeah. retail and travel and all of that. We we just benefit from it. You know, we're totally. not it's, we're not testing these these approaches, right? It's, these, kind of a good thing. it's kind of a good thing to be the the vertical that goes last because yeah. look at everybody else and go, now what did they do? And how would that apply here? And would that work? Or would we do it differently, which is great. Um, and it may actually explain a lot of the uh, rapidity of the change is that you've got so many other smart brains coming from other places going, well, this worked here, let's apply it there. And they can kind of do that all at once where, you know, naturally in travel and in uh, consumer goods that took longer because they were coming up with the things and testing through them and in restaurants, it's much more, um, let's just apply and see what happens. Now, yeah. the the good news of that is that I think we as an industry are able to defend ourselves a little bit more against tech companies, right? We we know what's coming, right? We know that a big tech company can acquire a consumer and take all the power and create some issues. And we're working really hard to go against that. Now in travel, I think they were caught off guard by that and they ended up having a lot of consolidation among the travel companies over time to deal with that and fight back. Right now we have Marriott Bonvoy, this huge giant like, travel yep. company. We've got like seven airlines and that's it. Didn't used to be that way. And in restaurants, it's a highly fragmented industry. 
Um, even though we have a lot of chains and it feels like there's um, a lot of um, monoculture in restaurants, half the industry is independence. And that kind of industry structure is ripe to um, really struggle when a big tech company comes in, um, you know, one or two players versus lots and lots of little, little guys. Um, but I think because we've had this experience of seeing what's happened in other industries, we're like, wait a minute, we would like to do it this way. We would mm -hmm. like to make this happen. And, it, you know, it's resulted in, you know, think of someone like DoorDash who could, could be one of these companies that's big against all the littles, um, instead is doing things like buying Bebot, creating DoorDash storefront, doing DoorDash drive, and essentially saying to restaurants, you know what, we're indifferent. They can come through your direct channel. They can come through our channel. We win either way. We'll give you the tools to do both. Um, that is really unusual. And I, I don't know. Oh, well, actually I do know you would not have seen that an example in travel, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. I think what, what's beautiful, uh, beautiful about the industry and, and kind of, um, gives us a different facet is it really is the only industry where all five senses are engaged. Um, mm. you know, and I mean, I think that's one, like, so it might be easy to say, like, if we take the travel industry, for instance, like, I hate to say it, we just don't really need a travel advisor anymore. We don't need someone to like book our stuff for us. Um, unless, unless you're that busy where you actually do need an assistant. Um, so to see that whole industry kind of fade and go away, that makes sense. But the, the, the physical experience is such a huge part of loving a restaurant brand, not just the food. Um, how, how do we make sure that technology isn't freezing up in making it cold in the name of smoother operations, more profitability, so on and so forth? How do we make sure that the, that one facet that's such a beautiful part of this industry is strengthened and accentuated? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, it probably depends by channel, but as I think about dine-in, which is probably the most of the experiential, um, it should actually make it more experiential technology, right? You should find mm -hmm. that as you deploy technology to do the things that don't add a lot of value, like baking a reservation or scheduling the labor um, to the consumer experience, so they add a lot of value, but they don't add value really to the consumer experience then that means that people inside the restaurant can be redeployed into uh, things that do create a lot of value for the consumer experience. Um, you'll also find, you know, we talk about this example a lot in the book, that technology can help you create the best in digital hospitality, right? Your best server, why are they so good? Because they remember people, they remember what they like, they remember from table touch to table touch what's going on with that table, that's why they're good. And it turns out not everyone is the best server, right? Not everyone can be best, but technology can take the elements of that best and make them consistent across every server and give servers the tools to do those things every single time with every single guest, no matter how often they come in. So technology used well in that setting should actually make the experience better. I love that. What one of the other sides of this that, um, you mentioned is, is the electrification being a precondition to a lot of these things and specifically automation. Um, and you, you've uh, maybe accurately uh, predicted an increased adoption of electric cooking equipment, smart ovens, other tech upgrades in the restaurants. So today we've talked a lot about software. Like let's talk a little bit about the hardware. Um, I'd love for you to dive in it further. 
Uh, but I must say, if someone comes here and tries to take away my gas stove, we're, it's going to be really, <laughs> really ugly. <laughs> I know. I know when uh, Berkeley was the first city in America to outlaw um, gas in new builds. And I, I mean, I think people are still suing them. It's like did, yeah. nobody's happy. Um, but, you know, a couple things. Number one, gas is incredibly difficult to regulate using technology. Um, and if you think about how most line cooks cook in a gas-based kitchen, they don't ever adjust the temperature, right? They take the pan on and off. And they're doing that because adjusting the temperature, there's too much of a delay between when you turn the gas down and when the pan actually changes temperature, right? Yeah, and a lot of guesswork, too. Like, did I turn it down too long? Yeah, yep. If I take it off, I know. Like, I know exactly what's happening, and I can look with my eyes and smell, and I, it's very clear what's going on. Well, a computer can't smell, right? A computer can look Yet. with its <laughs> eyes, but it's very, very difficult and creating the robotics to take a pan off and on, off and on, like that is so complex. And again, in the spirit, spirit of saying, wait, what if we did something less complex instead of more complex? You say, hmm, electric is less complex because when I turn it down, I can measure instantly, did it turn down or not? And I can create a feedback loop to say, yes, I did what you asked me to do, right? And I don't have to move anything robotically. It just instantly goes off. And so as we think about uh, trying to get to a more automated place in the kitchen, you have to have electricity, right? It's the reason why Teslas are electric. Do they love electric cars? I don't know, maybe, but are electric cars a lot easier to automate? They sure are, right? So as they thought about creating a self-driving car, they thought, step one, electrification, and the same thing's happening in the kitchen. Now, the next thing I would say to that is that we all love gas because that's how we grew up. That's how our parents grew up. That's how our grandparents grew up. We understand it. We know it well. In the old days, they cooked on an open fire or they cooked with coal. You don't mess those things, right? Like you get over it and you learn the new thing and you learn how to use it. And the same thing is happening uh, in kitchen equipment. And in many ways, the innovation has been more rapid at the consumer level, right? If you think about your friends and how they love to sous vide or they got an air fryer or they're using their instant pot, all these new cooking methods that enable them to accomplish things more quickly and in a more automated way than say using like a boiling vat of fat to create French fries, right? Which nobody does at home ever. I did it once. It was terrible. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Worth it. <laughs> it's not fun. No. It's not worth it. You're like the cleanup is alone. The cleanup no. is hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, I love that. That's that's definitely a different spin on it too. Um, which I think really helps people because there is a love, uh, especially when you get into the higher echelons of, of culinary, of the gas stove. It's yeah. and I love mine here. Like I really, I've worked on conduction or induction. I'm sorry. Um, and it's nice and all, but I miss my fire. And maybe yeah. it's a, a primal thing. I don't know. Um, but if it's for the you greater know, good. I, I will confess, like, we own a gas stove. We have a gas grill, right? But we are using them less and less and less as we mm. embrace sous vide, as we embrace our Instant Pot, as we embrace our air fryer, as we embrace all these other things. And, you know, we haven't gotten a smart oven in our home yet, but 
maybe someday. Well, also consistency isn't necessarily consistency at the at the uh, rapid speed that we need in a commercial kitchen isn't the same at, at home. Uh, maybe I'm just the the curmudgeon or the old man at this point, <laughs> but like I do have a coal burning grill, you and I do? will not get propane or anything. Like no, I yeah, like I only use lump wow. charcoal. Like I'm. I'm Maybe I'm just like trying to hold on to something that's not. You died. are OG. Wow. That is. <laughs> wow. It's dedication. Um, <laughs> but I don't do it in my house, obviously. Um, okay. So I feel like I've held you back long enough. Let's really dig into um, some of the things that you've been bringing into the world from the thought leadership to um, your uh, quote unquote day job. I mean, they're all inter- interlinked, but um, we mentioned the book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant. Uh, can you just. Give us the 30 second, this is why you have to read it. And then I would love to talk more about empowered delivery before we uh, put a bow on this. Absolutely. So to start with um, delivering the digital restaurant, there are two books. The first one is um, your roadmap to the future of food. The second is the path to digital maturity. And we think of the first book really as the why. Why is all this stuff happening? What exactly is happening? Who is doing it? Um, lots of stories from r- restaurateurs and innovators, tech people, entrepreneurs telling us about the change and making the case for restaurants that they need to embrace it. Um, so that is the first book. And I think an important read for anyone who um, is really trying to make good decisions and needs some context for that, right? The second book is really more about the how. And I, I would say it's aimed more squarely at independent restaurants or smaller restaurant groups who can't afford, you know, a fleet of technology people to figure out what to do and how to integrate it with all the other pieces. And it goes through starting at the beginning, you know, how do you get on and maximize the third parties? How do you uh, generate direct orders? Um, and then how do you move all the way through to the more and more complex things like virtual brands and ghost kitchens, um, all the way down the line. And, uh, it's got some, uh, tips called out in it, some worksheets called out in it, uh, to help restaurants really apply some of these concepts to their own businesses. So, yeah, I love that's more of a playbook, um, you know, putting pen to paper quite literally, but also connecting the dots. I love that. And I think it's so important for, especially the independents, like you said, who don't have the uh, financial or, or human resources to be able to execute. So it is a bit of a DIY culture still. It is. Um, and that, that covers everything digitally and connectivity for the restaurant, not just delivery. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. you're the CEO of Empowered Delivery is the name of the mm-hmm. company. Um, and that's basically taking delivery and making it easier. If I had to just dumb it down to just a few words. A good way um, to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, give us a little bit of a, a 30 second on that. Like um, yeah. what, what are some of the crazy things that you're doing that are amazing? Sure. So empower delivery is software that combines the consumer journey, the product journey and the logistics journey into one integrated piece of software. And because of that, The software is what we call resource aware or holistic. It knows what's going on with every resource on the system and can orchestrate activity across the different resources. Um, What that does is reduce latency, right? Nobody's waiting. Um, And reducing latency increases optimization. Every resource is more fully utilized. And of course, that reduces cost. 
um, which makes restaurants more profitable and actually lowers the price to consumers. Um, if you um, kind of wrap it about that way. Now it is software that is meant for restaurants that are doing a lot of deliveries. I would say delivery centric restaurants, um, ghost kitchen restaurants, those types of things. So if you have a multi-concept uh, integrated kitchen that is sending a lot of deliveries out the door, there's a better way to do it. And it's empower delivery. Um, the reason that I ended up there is very related to the book. Um, so I met Chris Baggett, who's one of the co-founders, uh, six years ago, I've known him forever. And, uh, you know, I was writing this book and finishing up and he said, why don't you come see what we're doing in Indianapolis? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll come look at it. And remember I've known him for six years. I walked into that kitchen and I was like blown away. Wait, this is what you're doing. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. <laughs> like, and I've heard him talk about it. I mean, he's in the first book. It's not like, it's not like I didn't know, but seeing it with your own eyes as a restaurant person, you cannot unsee it. It's absolutely incredible. So, um, and so the software companies empower delivery and the restaurant company is cluster truck. So it was cluster truck that I was looking at, which is operating on the software. And I said to him, you know, the kitchen is so quiet. You're doing such incredible volumes. Like, you know, they're doing 800 to a thousand transactions a day. Oh, wow. Which you would think would be an absolute madhouse, quiet, calm. Everyone's just doing their thing, jamming away to music. Like that's amazing. Everyone's in this like total state of flow. It's cool. Like you would want to work there, right? Nobody's yelling. And he said, yeah, well, this software is telling them what to do. So, oh, they're just doing okay. it. Great. And then I said, well, how many pieces of software are you using to run this restaurant? Remember earlier in this conversation, we said a really sophisticated digital restaurant is using 15 to 20 different pieces of software. And you said, are we going to have a SAS reckoning? Are they all going to consolidate? And, they, and yes, I, yes, we are. And they are. Um, but empower delivery uses basically itself to run a restaurant. So wow. in the case of cluster truck, they do, um, use seven shifts on the back end for labor scheduling. The software doesn't do that. Um, and they use NetSuite for accounting. The software doesn't do that, but otherwise it does every single thing that we've talked about all inside one piece of software. And there are several amazing things about that. One is that it's way less complicated. Two is that it is, I think less costly. And three is that, um, you don't have this compounding problem of all these different bits and pieces trying to talk to each other, right? It's totally resource aware. It does the right thing at the right time, every time, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the third question I asked him was, all right, you have a lot of people in here. What labor percentage are you running? Cause of course you can, you can make anything work if you just throw people at it. Right. That's right. Yeah. He says 19%. And I said, hmm. oh, that's amazing. Okay. So, but you have no front of house. So what's your delivery cost? And he goes 7%. And I go, I'm sorry, what? So for less than most people can run a full restaurant, Wow, you are staffing the kitchen and also paying for the delivery. What are you charging on your, on your menu markups and your delivery fees? Nothing. What? So the consumer pays less. They get the food faster. The restaurant's more profitable. Like how, what? <laughs> this is amazing. That's amazing. And yeah. Oh, I joined him to uh, spin the software company out because that like everyone should have that. That's incredible. I absolutely love that. That's fantastic. Um, God, I almost want to spend an entire episode unpacking just the details of that. 
Um, but I do have to hit you with probably the toughest question you've ever been asked. So brace yourself, buckle up. If you had one final meal, <laughs> what would you eat? Where would you eat and why? Yeah. Well, you know, if truly it were my final meal, it would be more about who I was with than what I was eating, I think. Um, and so I would uh, certainly eat with my husband and my son. Um, and that probably means we'd eat at home and we'd have delivery, of course. I love it. What would you have delivered? Anything in particular? Uh, well, ideally I would use something on empower delivery, but we haven't gotten anything out here in orange County yet. So orange oh, County let's sort that out. Please call. <laughs> yeah. Well, you heard the call. All right. So how can people connect with you, Meredith? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Um, and feel free to reach out to me there, follow us there. Um, we put out a newsletter delivering the digital restaurant on LinkedIn every other week. Um, we also do a podcast covering the highlights of the news for the last two weeks, every other week. Um, and that you can find on all the major uh, podcast platforms and on YouTube. And, uh, then we have a website delivering the digital restaurant.com. And there you can find a collection of all of our writing, which we do a lot of in Nation's Restaurant News and RestaurantEnter.com, as well as uh, the podcast, old newsletters, things like that. And you can order the book. Awesome. We will have absolutely all of those links uh, for everyone to click through. I do suggest uh, subscribing to the podcast. It's, it's great. Um, and it's, it, I think it's a fantastic way to stay up to date with what's happening, um, especially within the uh, tech side of the restaurant industry. And um, yeah, thank you for being so generous with your time and your thinking, not just on, on here, but everywhere you're putting out that thinking, it, it is helping so, so, so very much, especially in a rapidly changing environment. Um, again, Meredith, great to have you on and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.